Thank you, worship team. They are amazing. One of the things that I do is I teach a couple classes at Iowa State. By the way, anybody stay up and watch the game? I had to go to bed. Anyone know what happened to the game? I, I haven't heard. <laughs> Just kidding. Pretty exciting game for Cyclone fans. All right. Uh, but I teach a couple classes at Iowa State, and one of them is a class of 140 sophomores. That's a lot of sophomores. That's a reason to pray for me all by itself. <laughs> and on one occasion, I came up to a young man, and it was about the distance between me and you, about, about eight feet. And I asked him a question, and he looked at me as if I hadn't said anything. And so I asked him again, and then he realized I was speaking to him. And he took this earbud out of his ear. Now, many of you who are older may not know what an earbud is. This is the older version of these things. This is what older people use. Uh, but he had, and I couldn't tell. He had long hair. Ooh. I don't have to tell that story. I could tell something else. <laughs> Should I change stories? Okay, I'm going to go with this. And so he eventually pulled this earbud out, and I realized he hadn't heard anything I said. And I learned a long time ago, never embarrass students. It never works out. And so I went on to ask another student. But after class, I went up to him, and I said, Sir, um, I, I'm curious, like, why you were even here? Because if you couldn't hear me when I was speaking so close to you, could, you couldn't have heard anything else I said the rest of the lecture. And he said, yeah, that's, that's true. He said, I'm really sorry. My music was up too loud. And I said, are you just here for the attendance points? And he sort of looked down and said, yes. And I said, listen, I have something really important to say to you. Every class I show up and I work hard to deliver these lectures in a way that I think it will help you. I have something important to say to you. A couple days later, I'm reading my Bible, and I finished reading this chapter, and I realized I didn't remember anything I had just read in that chapter. And the Holy Spirit said to me, take out your earbuds. And I realized that I had all these distractions going on, and, and I had no idea what I just read. And so sometimes... God wants to say to us, hey, I have something important to say to us. We got these earbuds in. Sometimes on our way to church, there are distractions. Sometimes, and, and, I, and I'm, I hate to embarrass my wife because this is never her fault, but sometimes we have arguments on the way to church. Now, is it just my wife and I who need therapy? Is there anyone else that, that on your way to church, some of, you are, some of your wives are like this. Yes, and it's always my fault. It's always my fault. And, and so you've come with maybe not physical earbuds in your... I don't see anybody wearing these things. I don't see anyone wearing these things. But, but maybe you have other distractions going on internally today. And I pray that the Lord speaks to you. Let me, let me pray for us as we begin our time today. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would take the earbuds out because I believe with all my heart 
that you have something to say to us. God, help us to have ears to hear because we need to change. I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So if, if you are new to Stonebridge, this is your first time, welcome. Uh, I am not the regular pastor here, and, and some of you are saying amen. Uh, uh, but I, I'm, I'm sort of the, the B, B team that showed up today. Uh, and so if, if you've not been going through the study of Job, and it's been fantastic, if you haven't heard some of these messages, I'd encourage you to go back. I've been listening to these. You are well served by Pastor Yoder. I hope you know that. And there we go. I needed that. He needed that. And I want to do a quick recap of the book of Job in, to get us up to speed. So Job was a very godly man, and he was very wealthy. And there's this bizarre conversation between Satan and the Lord. And Satan says to God, look, your servant Job, he only serves you because you blessed him materially. You take away those material blessings, and he'll curse you. And God says, game on. So in a short number of verses, Job loses his stuff, and he was very wealthy. He had 10 kids, and they were taken from him. Heartbreaking. And he says this very famous, uh, this very famous thing. He says, naked I came into the world, naked I will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow, what an incredible testimony. And then Satan comes back and says, look, okay, that didn't work out. You won round one. What about we take away his health? And God said, you can take away his health, but spare his life. So Job had these incredibly difficult health issues to deal with. Skin issues, it was, it was miserable, it was horrible. And on top of that, he's married to Mrs. Encouragement. <laughs> and she says, you should just curse God and die. And Job says in response, are we to receive only the good things from God, but not the evil also? An amazing testimony. And then we see Job's three friends come along. And, and they're saying, look, after seven days of waiting, they finally spoke and they said, look, this whole suffering thing you're, you're going through, you've lost everything. Your health is terrible. It's all because of your sin. And Job was like, I don't think so. And there's this long, I mean, this goes on for chapters and chapters of dialogue between Job and his three friends. And then comes this fourth guy, Elihu, and he rebukes the three friends and then rebukes Job. And then there's this moment then when God comes in to speak. And, and I don't know if at this point you're expecting a little God or a big God. Uh, about 20 years ago, I was at a conference and I had a chance to hear from uh, a very famous missionary named Ajith Fernando. He was a missionary in Sri Lanka, uh, a, a country that was war-torn at the time. He could have gone anywhere, but his heart was to be with his people. And he, he shared these amazing things that God was doing in the midst of Sri Lanka. And, and he said this, listen, lean in on this. He said, you in the West are often amazed at the miracles God does in the East. And it's because the materialism that you have in the West has made your God a small God. And I wrote in my notes, I want a big God. And that's the God who comes in in chapters 38 through 41, 
And if you haven't heard Matt's message, I listened to it a couple times because it was so rich last week. But I'm going to summarize what happens um, in uh, that passage. Because the Lord is saying to Job, take out your earbuds. I have something important to say. And let's listen to what he says. Uh, chapter, the first speech, he says, he's basically speaking about his sovereignty over the physical world. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he spoke about the physical world. He spoke about the dawn. He spoke about the weather. He spoke about the stars. He says, I'm sovereign over all of this. And then he goes on to talk about animals. And I wrote this down because I want to make sure I got them all. Lions, ravens, mountain goats, wild donkeys, wild ostriches, or oxen, ostriches, horses, and hawks. Things that they would understand. And if God were speaking today in this passage, he would talk not just about the earth and the animals as we would know them. He'd, spot, he'd speak about quantum physics. He'd speak about uh, astrophysics. He'd speak about uh, abstract algebra. He'd speak about genetics because he is sovereign over all of this. We serve a great and mighty God. Amen? Amen. All right. But notice, after all of this discussion of God's sovereignty and his greatness, he says nothing about Job's suffering. Do you ever wonder why? God, weren't you listening? Weren't you tracking along with this debate between Job and his friends? Weren't you working through this discussion with Job and his wife? You're not speaking to this at all. And it's because God has a more important message that we'll see unpacked. And then in verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 2, the Lord says, who will, content, who, will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who argues with God give him an answer. And Job responds, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not reply twice, but I can say nothing. So this begins Job's second speech. And this is about these two animals called the behemoth and the leviathan. Now, unlike the other animals, we know what ostriches and, and hawks and lions are. And so scholars have argued about, are these actual animals like the hippo and the crocodile, or are they more figurative animals? It doesn't really matter. The point here is that God has power to deliver justice over all his creation. And that brings us now to our passage, uh, chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. And if you could open up your Bibles and read along, or some of you are reading along on an app, and if you don't have any of those, look on with a neighbor because this is the word of the Lord. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything, and no plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, you will inform me. Verse 5, I had heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and am sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. So let's unpack this. All of Job 
is, is moving towards this passage. Verse 2, Job reaffirms that God is sovereign over the world and nothing can foil his purposes. Verse 3, uh, I'm sorry, verse, yeah, verse 3, he comes to realize that divine wisdom is beyond the ability of any humans to grasp. Verse 5, read this again, I have heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Uh, the commentator John Hartley says now he has a superior basis for his faith. And this reminded me of this wonderful story in John chapter 4 where Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And we tend to focus on her, and we should. There's a lot, a lot to unpack with her story. But don't miss out on the rest of the story. Chapter 4, John, verses 39 through 42, I'll just read it for you. It says, Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe, believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. This is actually my testimony as well. So I grew up in a church. From the time I was born, I grew up in a church that taught the gospel. And as a young man, maybe eight or nine years old, I, I understood the gospel as much as I could. I prayed to receive Christ. I was baptized. But there was a disconnect. And so as I was growing up, I, I became further and further distant. And when I was in middle school and I was in high school, I was obsessed with what others thought of me. My basis for who I was was based on what my friends said of me. And honestly, there was no difference between my life and that of my friends who were not Christians. And by the time I was 18, I have this distinct recollection of singing hymns in this church. And I was saying to myself, I remember this distinctly, none of this makes any difference to me. I don't understand this. And I just assume everybody else is going through the motions as well. And a degree of cynicism began to come up in my heart. And I came to Iowa State in 1985. And, and I was religious. I was religious. But I was a phony. I was empty. And I got around these men who proclaimed Jesus. And I knew immediately there was something distinctly different about these men. And I was fascinated. What was it that these men had that I didn't have? And I'll tell you what they had. They had a relationship with God. I had a religion. I had a religion. They had a relationship. And I knew that I was empty. I knew that I was chasing after the wind. And they had something solid in their life. Now, I had a lot of rough edges. And I had some men that poured into me. Guys like Troy Nesbitt, Glenn Schillinger, Dave Dorsett, Mike Erickson. Guys that I look back on and they discipled me through a lot of rough edges. They didn't give up on me. And I gave them plenty of reasons to give up on me. And they didn't. 
Thank you, Jesus. Your earphone, your earbuds still in? God's wanting to speak to you today. We come now to verse 6, the pinnacle of the book of Job. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am in dust and ashes. Other translations translate this, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And I want you to write this phrase down because this is really important. And thanks for taking notes. That love's on me. Hartley says, Jesus has come to a true assessment of himself before the holy God. A true assessment. When you get into the presence of the holy God, then everything is stripped away. Nothing else matters. And you realize you are in dust and ashes. My friend Kurt Seemers, a Bible scholar, was with us here today. He, he got me drilled into this uh, other commentator, David Kleins. Listen to this. This speech resolves Job's dispute with God, for Job recognizes God's right to do what he does, even though Job does not say so to the extent of bringing suffering upon an innocent person. So what is new about Job's knowledge that you can do all things is not that God is almighty. That's not the message. He knew that. But that God has an inescapable purpose in whatever he does. Job's suffering makes sense to God. That's all that matters. It makes sense to God. Even though God in no way explained or justified it to him, Job's mistake had been to demand an answer to the problem of suffering, which is to intrude in an area beyond human comprehension. Likewise, we too should entrust our sufferings to a sovereign and good God. We need to take a look at two phrases in this passage. First of all, the phrase, I repent. God wants our repentance, not our confessions. Now, I'd like a little do a thought exercise. Imagine that I'm having an affair, and this is a bad situation, and I come to my wife, Tara, and I say, I'm just coming to confess to you that I am having an affair. Now, I can tell you very clearly, you haven't met my wife. She is the better half. I can tell you she is not going to accept my confession alone. What she is going to want is my repentance. Are you with me on this? And if my wife would require repentance, do you think, do you think for a moment that the God of heavens expects anything less of us? We've convinced ourselves that what God wants is our confession. Guys, what he wants from us is our confession and our repentance. Anyone here over the age of 60, I want you to raise your hand. Show me where you are. All right, beautiful. Okay. Any of you people over 60 holding on to bitterness? Come on, I'm talking to you now. I have people that I know who have held on to bitterness for so long that they don't remember what life was like when they weren't carrying this bitterness, and it is a cancer. Come on. You came into this room today carrying this bitterness, and I'm telling you, you don't have to carry it out. You can leave that bitterness here. There are people in this room who haven't talked to their siblings in decades. 
who haven't talked to their children in decades. I know there are. God's calling you to repent. When you get into the presence of the holy God, he messes with you. Come on. He messes with you. And God's calling you to repent. There are young people in here and old people alike that are addicted to pornography. The statistics are staggering. They're staggering. And you don't know what to do. You're so lost in this stuff, you can't see up from down. You looked at this stuff last night, maybe even this morning on your way to church. I don't know. But you can come in here addicted to this stuff or whatever you're addicted to, and you don't have to leave that way because that's what happens when you get in the presence of a holy God. All this stuff fades to gray. Guys, don't leave with this stuff. Leave it here at the altar. God is calling us to repent. And then he says, he is in dust and ashes. Let's first of all establish what this does not mean. What this does not mean is nihilism. The idea that nothing matters. I am dust and ashes. It's like that Kansas song, everything is dust in the wind. And the the end result of secular humanism, which is pumped into our children day after day, is nihilism. And we wonder why there's such a high rate of suicide among our young people, right? We're just just captive to the secular humanism, and that does lead to nihilism, but that's not what it's talking about here. Our worth is in the Lord. Let's just say that together. Our worth is in the Lord. One more time. Our worth is in the Lord. I want to speak to the middle school and high school kids. Raise your hands. Let me see where you guys are again. There are a lot of you. Guys, thanks thanks for being here today. So I know the challenge of being in middle school and high school and how your vision, your value, your self-worth is defined as to what your peers tell you it should be, how many likes you have on social media. Guys, is this, this is revolutionary. What if you stopped caring and defining yourself as to how your peers define you and, and grasped how God defines you? Guys, care more about that. Oh, if our young people would care more and understand that God defines who they are, not what their peers say who they are. It is freeing. I, I wish this could have happened when I was in middle school and high school. But guys, what kind of example are we setting our children when materialism has taken captive, taken us captive? We think we have stuff. No, my friends, we don't have stuff. The stuff has us. Come on. We are so captive to this stuff, and we need to let all this stuff go. In the presence of a holy God, in dust and ashes, we can do that. Corey Tenboom is one of my idols. If you've not read The Hiding Place, I can't think of a better book for you to read besides God's word. And Corey Tenboom says, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And sometimes we got to strip away all the stuff and we realize that actually all I need is God. All I need is God. 
My friends, the book of Job is so much more than a book about suffering. It is about who we are on Monday mornings. It is about who we are on Friday nights. And we can live with abandonment to follow and love the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this community. And my friends, if the people in this room would get free of all the stuff that you're carrying on your shoulders, this town would be turned upside down for the gospel. I believe that. The schools, that middle school, that high school, guys, be turned upside down if you live with abandonment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It'd be turned upside down. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another one of my heroes, says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so I say to you today with all my heart from the scriptures I am compelled to say, let it go, let it go, let it go. And maybe today would be a day of surrender. There's a song that I'd like to sing with you. I don't sing all the time when I preach. Just here. <laughs> and this is a song that I, I grew up singing. And I want to look at the words because I don't want anyone singing this if this isn't you. You only sing this if you mean it. It says, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Who wants to sing with me? All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, and all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. There's more to Job 42 I have to finish up. Verses 7 through verse 9, the Lord restores Job's friends. Job offers, they offer sacrifices. Job prays for them, and they are restored. It's this beautiful picture of reconciliation between man and God. You see, what happens when we get right with God, vertically, it affects our horizontal relationships. And, and I would invite you to take a look at Matthew chapter 18. It's, it's the parable that was written for me. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant because I understand all about bitterness. God actually gave that parable to me. It's nice that he shares it with you. That's my parable. And God says the same love and forgiveness he gives us, we are to give others. And in Job 42, 10 through 17, how am I doing on time? 
Seven minutes. All right. Thank you. And Job prayed for his friends. The Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and died with him in their house. All his brothers, sisters, and former acquaintances came to him and oh, got that. And they sympathized with him and comforted him uh, concerning all the adversity the Lord had brought on him. Each, of them, each one gave a piece of silver and a gold earring. So the Lord blessed the last part of Job's life more than the first. He owned 14,000 sheep and goats. And my friends, that's a lot of sheep and goats at any time. That's a lot of sheep and goats. I have one dog. I cannot imagine 14,000 of anything. 16,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters to replace the 10 kids he had lost. He named his five, five daughters, you know, his first daughter, Jemima, his second daughter, Josiah, and his third, Karen Hapuk. No women as beautiful as Job's daughters could be found in all the land, and their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. And the Cyclones went on to win the Rose Bowl. Wait, what is that? I wish that's what it said, but it doesn't. I added that. Job lived 140 years after this and saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. Then Job died old and full of ages, full of uh, days. First of all, let's understand what this passage does not mean. This passage does not mean that after you go through a period of suffering that there's going to be a corresponding period of blessing. That is not what the scripture teaches. This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. So how should we think about it? I think it's just God was generous with Job and nothing more. Because here's the thought grenade. What if, what if, hang with me now, God had not blessed Job with all of these things, 10 more kids, all of this livestock. He ran a three-hour marathon, right? All of this stuff. Would God still be a, God, a just and merciful God? Absolutely, because God gave Job an awareness that all he needed was God. He had all he could have. My friend Alan Stroud reminded me of James chapter 5. We're going to end on this. James chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as evidence of suffering and patience. See, uh, we count as blessed those who have endured. You have heard of Job's endurance and have seen the, the, seen the outcome that the Lord brought about. And listen to this phrase, the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That was the conclusion in James. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Let me ask you a question. Did you take the earbuds out today? Did God speak to you in a specific way today? Let me encourage you to share the things that God has put on your heart in your connection group. Some of you have things that are so heavy on your heart, you may not be ready to share those in a connection group. And I'd encourage you to seek out Pastor Matt and say, Pastor Matt, I need someone to disciple me. I need someone to help me walk with Jesus in a profound way. Could you help find someone or could you disciple me to walk more with Jesus? Um, we're going to sing this uh, 
this hymn one more time. I'd ask the worship team to come back. Worship team, come back on stage. And as we wind our time down, I want to sing the song one last time. And, and if God has been working on your heart today, this is your moment to do business with the Lord. Only sing this song if you're serious. Only sing this song if you're serious. And, and we're going to sing again. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. And all to Thee, my Blessed Savior, I surrender all.